Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. I want to remind you that if you are catching this episode by April 7th, that I will be delivering a free webinar on church hurt recovery, and that will be offered at readytobelieve.com. You can go ahead and register. I've been asked, is there going to be a replay? And there is, although I really do encourage you if you can get a seat for the live experience that is always best, I feel. And so if you have not yet registered for Church Hurt Recovery, please do at readytobelieve.com and secure your seat. Now, we are in the middle of a series, Getting Right When the Church is Wrong. And quite a few of you are listening to and sharing this series. I want to thank you for riding with me throughout this podcast and certainly through this series because I know that it has touched so many of you. And as usual, we have a guiding scripture for this part of our series and it comes from Matthew chapter 21 verses 12 through 15. And it says this, watch out for false prophets. Some versions say beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Some versions say ravenous wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Or some versions say, by their fruit, you will know them. So today we are going to be talking about, you can't sit with us, misogyny, and the remedy. So this past weekend, I am a member at Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. And that is a recent, that's where I landed in 2021 after I left my old church. And lo and behold, Jonathan McReynolds, a Grammy winning gospel artist, was our guest for the Resurrection Sunday service. And before he went into his music ministry, something that he said was an opportunity for the church is this. We may not be able to offer tradition to people. We may not be able to offer fashion to people. We may not be able to offer all of the made up cultural rules that help us get along nicely, but we can always offer God. I want to repeat that. We may not be able to offer tradition to people. We may not be able to offer fashion to people. We may not be able to offer all of the made up cultural rules that help us get along nicely, but we can always offer God. And I want to hone in on the words that was so timely, just so right on time for this series that I had to go back and make some edits um, because I want to hone in on those words made up cultural rules, because truth be told, that tends to be where the crux of church hurt emanates from. A lot of these made up cultural rules. There are things that churches require of us that God does not even require. The church has found itself in this paradox, in this this conflict of preaching a message that says you can come as you are, you know, that you can just, Jesus will take you as is. And yes, that's true. Jesus will take you as is. But at the same time, if you want to sit at our table, if you want to be one of us, 
you cannot stay as you are. And let me be clear, okay? It should be the goal of every believer to evolve, keyword evolve, into a life that looks less like us and more like Christ. And how do you evolve into that life? You evolve through prayer. You evolve through study. It doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden your life is going to be easy because ask anybody who's been walking with Jesus for a while and <laughs> life ain't no crystal stair. Okay. So it's not that, but it's a process. It is a process. And yes, when somebody is young, more structure is better than less structure. As a matter of fact, I recognize that one of the reasons why I was, why I stayed at my church my old church as long as I did is because my childhood was so chaotic that the structure, the rules, the rigidity, the regulations that it offered just seemed like such a balm to me. It was a balm. It was a calm that I needed. It was predictability. It was structure. But as I said, that was when I was younger. Okay. You know, the Bible says when I was young, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, that is when I became mature, I put away childish things. And so as I began to mature in the Lord, that's when I started to see things differently. That's when I started to recognize that some of these dynamics, some of these rules, these made up rules and regulations of church policy and, and direction were not only contrary to the word of God, but were actually detrimental to the membership. And so I don't want to be anybody to, to think that you can just come to Jesus and then still be living like you were living before you came to Jesus because did you really come to Jesus? I mean, there should be a change. There should be a noticeable and a discernible change, but it's not a change that happens overnight. And so when we preach to people that you can come to Jesus as you are, but then the minute you get in their clutches, you know, in the church clutches, you are preaching a totally different doctrine and expecting them to straighten up and fly right with time limits and all of these other things that they may not be yet mature enough to embrace because Think about your evolution. Think about your walk as a believer. You have not always hit every nail straight. Even after you found Jesus, you have not always hit every nail straight. And so to think that others, we can bring others into the fold and then expect them to all of a sudden be these just add water Christians, it doesn't work like that. So when we start pretending that things like, you know, wearing good, nice shoes and nice clothes is Christ-like, okay, then we need to start reevaluating our definition of Christ-like. I think we've missed the mark because as I, as we often do on this podcast, I like to give definitions so everybody's clear what we're talking about. Christ-like means following the teachings or manifesting the qualities or spirit of Jesus Christ. Following the teachings or manifesting the qualities or spirit of Jesus Christ. So when we start acting like wearing good shoes and nice clothes is Christ-like, you find that in the Bible for me, where Jesus was, was being the fashion police. When we start pretending that, you know, men with clean cut fades and, and a hairline and is Christ-like because the church that I left actually pulled men out of leadership positions if they grew twist or locks or dreads they said oh man ain't supposed to wear his hair long and use the bible completely out of context to to enforce these rules and these regimentations and pull men out of leadership because of how they wore their hair 
true story, you know, but when we start pretending like only men can preach the gospel, when we start pretending that only men can hold positions of trust and influence, when we start pretending that my sin ain't as bad as your sin, when women have to apologize for their indiscretions, but men don't, when women are encouraged to stay in abusive marriages, hello, somebody, some of y'all listening, you got a story to tell. When certain groups of people are demonized because of their lifestyle choices and we're calling it Christ-like, then it's time for us to start examining the fruit. The Bible says that by their fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Remember, Christ-like is following the teachings or manifesting the qualities or spirit of Jesus Christ. And I want you to go through the gospel and I want you to go through it with a fine-tooth comb. I want you to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to go through the gospels and you tell me when Jesus found himself upset, who was he mad at? I'm not good. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You go and do that searching for yourself. And I think for those of you who don't know the answer, you'll be surprised that it wasn't the people that the church tends to turn a blind eye to Matthew 11, 28 says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Some versions say heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want to focus on some key words here. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Did it say, come to me, all you who are wearing nice shoes. Come to me, all of you middle class. Come to me, all of you who are identifying with this gender or or walking along, you know, these sorts of, of cultural marital practices. It didn't say that. And yeah, I know I'm I'm being controversial in the mug right now because some of y'all are clutching the pearls, but I will, I'm telling you, read the gospels and you come back and tell me, email me, hit me up at Dr. Shante says that when you saw Jesus getting upset, who was he mad at? Who was he getting upset with? I'll give you a clue. It's in the first part of this series. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus was so inclusive. He said, I am gentle and humble in heart. But in the church, we're not always gentle and humble with individuals who live differently, think differently, act differently, dress differently than we do. He Jesus, that is, sat with, held court with, ate with, walked with, talked with people that we would consider unworthy, which begs the question, who is worthy? Think about that. There are so many people that the church, and I'm not saying every church, I'm speaking in in general, I'm speaking generally, but I'm not making a sweeping generalization because I know that all churches do not do this, okay? But many churches have singled out certain people, singled out certain groups and said, oh no, you don't mess with them. You don't talk with them. You playing with fire there. So that begs the question, who is worthy, right? Who, who are the right kinds of people? If the church has taught you that because you wear nice shoes, attend service, give regularly, saved yourself for marriage, you never got a divorce, you ain't got no kids out of wedlock, you identify with the gender of your biology, or you only dated heterosexually, that you are better 
that you are holier then the church has done you a disservice because and this is straight out of the book god is not a respecter of persons acts 10 34 peter said god is not a respecter of persons what does that mean god does not play favorites god doesn't look at some better than others Paul said in Romans 2, 11 and 12, for there is no respect of persons with God. For as many have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Romans 3, 10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short. The Bible says that all of our our deeds, our good deeds are like filthy rags. They don't even on your best day, on your best day, when you have dotted every I and crossed every T and you have walked circumspect along the King's Highway on your best day, it is filth and dirt to God because there is nothing that we can do. There is no box that we can check that would muster enough wherewithal, enough clout, enough brownie points to earn salvation. One of the reasons that believers are so hurt and walk around with so much guilt and so much shame is because from the pulpit to the door, many churches are preaching one thing and doing another. The church may preach that all have sinned and fallen short, but... When you do sin, there's a price to be paid. <laughs> when you do fall off, there's a price to be paid. Who gets talked about? Who gets shunned? Who gets gossiped about? Who winds up on the outside looking in? Can you honestly say, can you honestly say that in your experience, in your church experience, that everybody is accepted in the church? Because Jesus said, come to me all. Okay. Jesus didn't just die for some. Jesus gave his life for all, even people that will never believe in him. He gave it all. He paid it all for us all. But that's just not how it works. That's just not how it shakes out in real life in the church house. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it is by the grace of God, for it is by the grace of God that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of it is the gift, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's it. That's all. You know why you're saved? Do you know why you are going to heaven when all is said and done? Do you know why you have the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit ruling and dwelling with you right now? The grace of God. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by actions, not by dotting I's and crossing T's. It is a gift of God so that no one, so that no man can boast. And once you get saved, you have two jobs. You have to love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and you have to love your neighbor. That's right. Love your neighbor, your fellow man, like you love yourself. That's what, that's it. 
That's what Jesus asked us to do, those two things. So, you know, the commandments, you know, all that went out the window. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I'm going I'm to I'm ask you for two things, love God and love your neighbor. And you know what? There are people in this world, I listen, there are people in this world that are not easy to love. Believe me, I know that. Every time somebody said, you know, of, of the former guy, president number 45, pray for the president, I'd have to, ooh, Ooh, my eyes start twitching. I have to lock my jaw tight. I'd be like, mm, mm. It, 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 it pushed, it pushed the boundaries of my Christianity. I had to remind myself that Jesus got up on the cross for him too. Okay. Regardless of how he acts and in real life, I had to remember that. Okay. And if your church has taught you to love only those who follow the made up cultural rules that we have so that we can act nicely, then you need to take a closer look at the fruit on that tree. Any church that names the name of Christ in one breath and pushing hate in another is a candidate for closer inspection of the fruit. Jesus was drawn like a magnet to the very people that the church, many churches teach us to judge, to shame, to shun and avoid. This is why, hear me, this is why you cannot heal from church hurt until you examine how your thinking and your treatment of others has been shaped by the church house. You cannot heal from church hurt until you examine how your thinking and your treatment of others has been shaped by the church house. Let's take pastor out of it. Let's take deacons out of it. Let's take ushers and choir members and sister Sally and brother John out of it for two seconds. And let's just talk about Jesus for a second here. Jesus asked you to do two things as a believer, love God and love other people. Ask yourself, has my church in any way demonized, shunned, shamed, targeted, hated other people in God's house? Think about that. And that in my mind makes them a candidate for closer inspection of the fruit. Which brings us to misogyny. I want to define misogyny for those of you who have no idea what it is. Misogyny, the definition of misogyny is the dislike of, the contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. Misogyny is the dislike of, the, the contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. So let me start with this scripture. Luke. This should be a familiar scripture to you because Resurrection Sunday and all that jazz, right? Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. And it reads as thus. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, that is the 11 disciples, and to all the others. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like foolishness, like nonsense. So the disciples, when the women came with this message from the angels that Jesus had risen, like he said he would on the third day, they did not believe the women because to them, their words sounded like foolishness, like nonsense, like some BS, some huckabuck, some shuck and jive. Now I cannot speak for Lutherans or Catholics or Episcopalians or Church of God in Christ or AME because I have never been affiliated with any of those denominations. But what I can tell you with certainty is that black women and Baptist churches, particularly Southern Baptist churches, have been subject to some of the worst demonstrations of misogyny that I have ever seen in my life. I have seen them worked to the bone and shoved to the back. I have seen them shunned from the pulpit. I have seen them march to the front of the congregation to apologize for pregnancies and the baby daddy wasn't nowhere to be found. I have seen them banned from serving as trustees. I have seen them doubly victimized when they try to come forward about abuse from their husbands and they were either disbelieved or, or it was swept under the rug because we got to keep that hush hush because we got to keep the man's reputation intact. I have seen women confront other women about petty fashion rules like belt buckles and short sleeves. And you know, this is nothing new. Okay. Even in the Bible, women were often treated as second class citizens, which is why I find it so ironic that God gave women first dibs of the privilege of the gospel at the tomb. I want to be real clear on this point. I want you to get it deep down in your sanctified soul. The entirety of the Bible, the canon of the Old Testament and the New, the chronology of the kings, of Solomon, of David, of Hezekiah, the prophets, Elisha and Isaiah, the story of creation, the sin and the garden and the deception of Eve, from Paul's conversion to the book of Revelations, there is nothing, no, not one thing that is more important in the Bible than the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus the Christ. That is what the book is about. That is the climactic pinnacle of the Bible's very existence. If that does not happen, we have no hope. We have no salvation. We have no book. We have another good story, just like the Iliad and the Odyssey from the, the Roman mythology. Okay. If, if we don't have the resurrection of Christ, we have nothing. That is exactly what the book is about. Everything points to that very 
instance, that is the good news. That is the gospel. And through every translation, hear me, through every translation, having passed through the hands of many, 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 many men from the King James to the American Standard to the NIV or the New Living Translation, there is a single fact that has never been in dispute, that has never been obfuscated, that has never been tipped about, and that is this. The first people to preach the good news of the gospel, the good news of the resurrection upon which the entirety of our belief and salvation rests were women, chicks, ladies, sisters, girls. You hear me? Do you hear me? That is not in dispute. It is not in dispute. Not only is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection not in dispute, the people who were first to tell it is also not in dispute. It was women. It was women. It was not Peter. It was not John. It was not James. It was not Thomas. It was not Andrew. It was not Bartholomew. It was not Matthew. It was not James. It was not the men that Jesus had recruited and trained and taught. It was not the men who scattered at the end of his life and acted like they didn't even know him. It was the women. It was the women several of whom were at the cross with him at where he bled and died and suffered. John 19:25 near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas and Mary Magdalene. Now John was there too, but many of the disciples was running scared and you already know about Peter's betrayal. So, Fast forward to the year of our Lord, 20 and 21, you have men marking their territory in God's house and dictating in God's house what a woman's place is. And I will tell you this, now I might lose some listeners over this, but I I said what I said. Anytime you have a dynamic where a man is asking a woman to work and labor and has an expectation of her wages without any of her input, I want to be clear on what that is. That dynamic is not pastoring. That dynamic is pimping, okay? Anytime, I'm gonna repeat this, you have a dynamic where a man is asking a woman to work and to labor with the expectation of her wages, of her tithes, of her offering, without any of her input, without valuing any of her input, without inviting her to have a seat at the table with no input in terms of the direction of where the church should be headed or what are in the best needs or interests of her and other members like her. None of her input, do the work, pay the money, but shut up and sit down. That is not pastoring, that is pimping by definition. And After a while, it occurred to me, I said, well, (laughs) if the preacher is doing the pimping, then what does that make me? This is what I mean when I say you need to inspect the fruit. Sending missionaries to Africa does not mean much if you are pushing oppression back at home. When the Bible is talking about bearing fruit, it is not referring to how many people you invited to church and how much money you put in the basket. Bearing fruit refers to what is produced when we obey God. 
It's what happens when you give up your will and your way and your agenda for God's will and yield to what the spirit of God is prompting you to do. It is not a result of self-effort, which brings us to the remedy. So Dr. Shante, you didn't say it a whole lot. And I know that I have. So as, as the preachers say in the pulpit, let me hurry to my close. Um, <laughs> the first part of healing, getting right when the church is wrong, because I'm here for you. I'm here for, for, for you, for actions that you can take. What the church will do, will not do, is going to do, I can't, I'm, is what the church is going to do. I'm, I'm not here for that. That's not what my podcast is about. My podcast is about you being whole and complete, lacking nothing. So the first thing is to adjust your expectations. A lot of people have expectations about what good Christian folk ought to be doing. And you need to recognize that while these people might be calling themselves Christian folk, and they may or may not be, I mean, who am I to say? Okay, who am I to say? What I will say is that they still folk. They still people. Christian folk or not, they still folk. They still people. And while we have an expectation that Christ followers will be Christ-like more times than we care to talk about out loud, people miss the mark because people are people. Who put Jesus on the cross? It wasn't gay folks. It wasn't pimps and prostitutes and hookers and drug addicts and, and the demon possessed. Who put Jesus on the cross? Church folks. So we need to adjust our expectations that people are people. People are subject to error from the pastor. He put his, his, his leg, uh, what do you call it, pants on one leg at a time. And yes, there are some women pastors that she put, you know, her skirt on one leg at a time too. The point is that people are people. The second thing is recognizing that God is not the source of your hurt because sometimes that happens that we throw the baby out with the bath water. We leave the church and we leave God too. And God is like, wait a minute, hold on. You know, it's like that, that clip <laughs> from real housewives where uh, Nene leaks is like, now, what you bringing my name into it for? I ain't even did nothing. I, now, see, I'm over here. I, I ain't even said nothing. I ain't even did nothing. Now, you didn't threw God out the window because Sister Mary didn't stepped on your toe and stepped on your shoe and, and keyed up your car. I hope Sister Mary ain't did that. But, you know, the point is that God is not the source of your hurt. And when you get hurt in the church, there is a real temptation, a real tendency to toss God out along with the people who hurt you. But I want to to encourage you to lean into God because it is through God that you will find your way to the other side of the hurt and into the healing. The third thing is we have to be willing to call a spade a spade. We have to call it what it is. Anytime a person is in a position of power and that power is misused or weaponized against people who have less power or people who are vulnerable. It's called abuse. That's just what it is. And that word is real triggering for people because we have an idea about what an abused person looks like or acts like. And, and we like that. What? I ain't no punk. You What you talking about? And so for our own pride and ego, we, we put up all kinds of buffers and get triggered by that word. But 
God deals in truth. Hear me when I say that God deals in truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth and the life. And so if we can't deal in truth and call things what they are and call a spade a spade and just be honest about how some church leaders, not all, how some church leaders are misusing the pulpit, misusing their position, then we can't get, get clear to healing because we can't recognize the truth of what it is for fear of what that makes us or for fear of what that says about us. Anytime someone in a position of power misuses their position and authority with people that are underneath them or subject to them or, or what have you, or following them, it is abuse, plain and simple. So the third thing is we have to call a spade a spade. We have to be willing to deal in truth. Number four, we have to recognize that being hurt by God's people does not diminish God's power or yours for that matter. Being hurt by God's people or people who call themselves God's people does not diminish God's power or yours. You are still a believer. You are still the child of a king. You are still called out and set apart for God's holy use and purpose. You still, at the moment that you accepted Christ into your heart, have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you still. That does not change. That is immutable. It is unchangeable. It is unwavering. Other people, their perceptions about you may, cha may change. Their ideas about you may change. God's love is unchanging. It is unfailing. It is unwavering. So please do not conflate what happens in the church with who Christ is, with who God is and the power that he has to save, to heal and to deliver. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So just because you've been hurt by the people does not mean that you have lost an ounce of the power that worketh in you by, by God's Holy Spirit. Okay. Number five, take time to recover. Through this series, one of the things that's going to come out of this series is a program called Walking Well. So this is a live coaching program. It's a six week live coaching program that walks you through the steps to recover emotionally and spiritually from church inflicted wounds, because you need to recover before you can forgive. You, you hear what I'm saying? Because a lot of times, and this burns my biscuits, a lot of times what happens in the church is that someone will make a mistake, will drop the ball, will make some egregious error, and the leadership will be so quick to rush you down the aisle of forgiveness. Like, well, you know, you need to forgive. The Bible says forgive. You ought to forgive. You know, listen, listen, listen. That can happen and should happen in time. But you may not be in the space mentally, spiritually to be able or have the capacity to do that because you have not recovered from what happened. And so we like to brush past what happened. Oh, yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. You know, um, and and to tell you, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. I know of a pastor who sexually assaulted a woman and. It was adjudicated through the courts and the whole nine yards. And not a year later, were there deacons and trustees in a board meeting talking about, 
you know, I'm thinking that, you know, this individual, because of all the years that they served here, they ought to be given a special commendation. They should be given uh, consideration for our, our highest commendation. Yeah, they, they may have had a bump in the road, but I don't think that should disqualify him from, you know, consideration. And I said, excuse me, a bump in the road. I don't think that any victim of sexual assault would consider that a bump in the road. I don't think that any victim of sexual abuse or assault would just be like, oh, well, that old thing. I said, that is life-changing, life-altering trauma. I said, so can we call that what it really is instead of a, <laughs> a bump in the road? Uh, yeah, 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 sister, point taken. I'm not joking. I wish I was making this up. True story. True story. So too often we like to just kind of rush past it and just call it a bump in the road when and given no resources, no time, no whatever for people to actually recover, no guidance for how to do that. And so the fifth step is recovery. And at some point when you are ready, when you feel healed enough, when you have the capacity and the bandwidth, Yes, forgive. Absolutely. The Bible says that we should do that. But I'm not going to rush you to that. Okay, I'm not going to push that on you because there are steps to recover. And for you to even get into a place to be able to forgive and move on, because yes, you should move on. And I'm not saying you should move on from that church. Hey, if that's where you feel God has placed you, then you go forth in Jesus name. At the same time, you do need to move through move past what happened so that you can 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 recover your life in wholeness and fullness and walk into things that that God has for you without the baggage of holding on to church hurt which can be devastating and lingers like nothing else does so and oh by the way so walking well that will be up on the website ready to believe uh in a couple of days Sooner rather than later, it, you know what? If I'm really in a in a <laughs> in a productive space, it might even be up on the website by the time you hear this podcast. But if you are interested in that, all of that information will be on readytobelieve.com. So register for the webinar on church hurt recovery so we could talk about what those steps look like. And also, if you are interested in the recovery program, the coaching program with me walking through church hurt, then you can find the information about that on readytobelieve.com as well. Now, next week is normally where I would have our expert come in and talk about, you know, the psychological underpinnings of this issue. But I'm going to take a little bit of a detour and I'm actually going to invite some listeners who I know listen to my show and some people that I know personally who have experienced church hurt to talk about their experiences with church inflicted wounds. And I'm going to tell you why this is important because it's important to hear more than my voice. I think that you should hear from some real people with some real issues and some real hurt and help understand why we can't just rush over the process and be like, okay, I forgive you. It's all good. It's fine. Because the layers of it are so deep and sometimes the offenses are so egregious. And so that will be our next episode. You will hear from some real people uh, that are going to be sharing their stories with you. And I appreciate their willingness to be transparent and vulnerable. And I hope that you, after hearing that episode, are a little bit more grounded in why this is such an important issue, why it's something that 
I've taken the month of, of April to really wrap my arms around and why I've taken the time to actually create a coaching program to get people through it because my, my true North has not changed. I want you to be what? Whole and complete lacking nothing. My hopes and dreams and ambitions for your life are very much in alignment with what God's hopes and dreams and ambitions are for your life, which are to have a whole life. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full an abundant life. And it's hard to live in that abundance when we're walking wounded. Okay. So I want us to be walking well. So that is it. If you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante says, and you will hear those voices next week. I'll see you next time.